You're listening to the weekly podcast of the services at Stonegate Fellowship Church in Midland, Texas. For more information about Stonegate, visit StonegateFellowship.com. Hey, good to see you today. Uh, if you've joined us since the last time that uh, I've spoken to you guys, my name's Scott Hall, and uh, I'll be with you the next few weeks here, actually two weeks, Then we're going to take a break for Thanksgiving week. And uh, then I'll be gone in Romania the next week after that, and then be back to have two weeks with you guys in December uh, before we finish up for this semester. Uh, We're going to be walking through the book of Philippians. Those of you guys that have been here before know that it's a farce to think that I'm going to be able to finish Philippians uh, in four weeks. We may make it through the first chapter, but we're going to start Philippians together. And today, hopefully, we'll make it through the first six verses of, of Philippians together. Glad you're here. Let's have a word of prayer, and uh, then we're going to dive in together today, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning, for these men, and for our time to gather and seek you. Uh, We're not necessarily just studying your word this morning. Uh, We're studying you. We're we're seeking you. We're coming after you this morning to try to hear a word uh, that would regulate our day today and set us on a path of following your will for our lives. So as we look into some historical context this morning for uh, this letter that you've given us to the church at Philippi and also to the uh, amazing offer to include us in this gospel journey and call us partners in it, would you help us to understand as men what that means for us and how we flesh that out in our day today? In Jesus' name, amen. Today I want to give you a little bit of background. Uh, It's important, I think, to understand in the Bible how it fits together and how it connects together. And if you've never done a study of Acts, I know we've walked through Acts here uh, in our morning Bible study several years ago together. But if you've never taken the book of Acts and read the book of Acts with this in mind, how did Paul and where did Paul write the other parts of the New Testament as he's working, uh, as history is working itself out through Acts, you need to do that. It's a great study. In other words, you can take the book of Acts and read through and see where Paul wrote out to the church at Philippi, where he wrote out to the church at Ephesus for Ephesians. And you can see where he wrote to Thessalonica with the book of Thessalonians. And it's just a good way for you as someone who is studying and learning God's word to continue to figure out how it's pieced together and how it how it works together. And so I want to start there this morning with you and just show you an example of this. And maybe in your uh, time, maybe over the holidays, you can take a, a peruse through the book of Acts and, and figure out where some of these other letters were written. By the way, if you've got a concordance in your Bible um, or some cross-references, either down the middle columns or on the bottom of your Bible, if you're over in Philippians or Ephesians or, or Colossians or Thessalonians, you can actually look over in the columns of those cross-references It will point you back into the book of Acts where you can see where these letters are written out. We are looking at uh, a letter to the church, a group of people called Philippians. They're called that because they were in Philippi. And this was a letter that we know Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians are referred to as the prison epistles or the letters written from prison. Paul had been in prison for his faith and that he saw, we'll see next week together, he saw as the providence or the sovereignty of God that God would put him in prison uh, so that he could do the Lord's work there in prison. And while he was there, he wrote these letters. So what I'm going to ask you to do is flip over to Acts chapter 16. We're going to look at 
verses 16 through 13 and just pick up the background of, of why and when Paul wrote to this church in Philippi. So Acts chapter 16, verse 6. Just as a reminder, Paul and his friend Barnabas had several missionary journeys together. Uh, by this time, Paul has had his first missionary journey. And then he and Barnabas um, uh, came together to go on a, a second mission, missionary journey. And uh, they had a little uh, disagreement with one another. And so Paul here in chapter 16 with uh, Timothy and Silas and also Luke was uh, a part of this visit as well later on. Listen to how Paul got to Philippi. He was trying to go somewhere else. It says in verse 6 that the Lord sent him on, in a different direction. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now, let me just pause for just a second and ask you to do with this with me today as we're walking through this historical piece. Sometimes it's easy to read the Scripture when we're looking at these historical contexts of Scripture and not allow God to do the work that He will do in our lives if we'll just listen. If we'll just listen to the questions that God naturally or supernaturally asks us as we're reading His Scripture, even these historical pieces. Let me, let me show you what I mean by this. This is what I will do to myself as I'm reading a historical piece like this. To start again in verse 6, and they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. That asks Scott Hall two questions when I'm reading this. Number one, am I so in tune with the Holy Spirit in my everyday life that I am allowing Him to lead me and keep me from going specific directions in my life? That's a good question. Even in our workplace, everything you do in your day, the Holy Spirit is supremely interested in guiding you in all of your steps so that you'll be used by Him. And maybe in, in even some of the most insignificant, what we think are the most insignificant settings or tasks that we're doing, the Holy Spirit wants to guide us in that. So the Holy Spirit forbade Him to go there and then He spoke the word, and he wanted to speak the word in Asia, but the Holy Spirit moves him on. Verse 7, when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. I asked myself the question, when was the last time I was so attentive to God, I knew he was disallowing me from doing something, that he was stopping me or, or putting his hand against me to keep me from moving in some direction. Verse 8, so passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man was standing in Macedonia, urging him and saying, come over here to Macedonia and help us. By the way, verse 9 is something that God is still doing today. We hear many stories in, in Africa specifically, but in other settings as well, where militant Muslim men who do not know the Lord are having dreams and visions just like this in the middle of the night where God is telling them to get up and walk three days' journey and they're going to find a man in a house. And when they go and they find that man in the house, there's a man there that has a copy of God's Word that are leading these gentlemen to Christ. God is still speaking in this way today. So I ask myself the question, am I in a place where He'll speak to me in such a way? Am I so engaged that God would come in that way and speak to me. Look at verse 10. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought out to go to Macedonia, 
concluding that God had called the gospel to be preached there. Verse 11, so setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to, that's a good one, Samothrace, tough word for me, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. So we see just in the book of Acts here, in chapter 16, the history and why Paul even went to Philippi. God called him there. It begs the question, what is God's call in your life? What is, what is God doing in your life? How is he speaking to you? How is he leading you? How is your job right now setting you up to tell the gospel story? What is it that he's gifted you with that he wants to use in your day-to-day life from being a, a welder to a videographer to a director to a lawyer to an engineer to a stay-at-home dad, whatever you do, How is God right now gifting and shaping your life? And what has he done historically to bring you up to this point where he would place a Macedonian call on your life? I met with a young lady about a year ago who was very blessed at a very early age. She came here, part of the Permian Basin. After finishing her engineering degree, came into a pretty large sum of money pretty quickly. And uh, there was a Macedonian call on her life right off the bat. She was at a place in her journey where she was able to hear from God. It wasn't a dream or a vision, but it wasn't a still small voice either. It was a proclamation deep within her soul that called her to something bigger than herself. And she sat down with with myself and my wife and just simply asked the question, will you guys start praying with me and help me find a place on the globe where God would have me put a thumbtack where I could plug in and use what he's given me to, to send the gospel to that place? Now we're far into that mission together. And she's doing great work on the other side of the globe where God allowed her to place a thumbtack. What has God done historically in your life to bring you up to a point where he has a Macedonian call that you would follow? That's exactly where we pick Paul up, where he is going to Philippi and and writing this letter. So let me give you just a a brief timeline here that relates to this book of Philippians, and then we're going to dive in together. Macedonian call came in, in Paul's life, and, and several things happened as a result of that. And again, I want to allow the word to challenge me, and I want it to challenge you as well. As a result of Paul going to Macedonia, several things happened in his life. Number one, his ministry led to the conversion of Lydia. If you were to go on reading in Acts chapter 16, you can read all the way through Acts chapter 20 and get the full timeline of the things we're going to be talking about in the next couple of weeks. But his ministry led to the conversion of Lydia. Now, if you've read the book of Acts, you know that Lydia was a very godly woman used by God in huge ways in this first century church. And so I wrote down a question for myself here. How many people, because of my life, have been led to a conversion experience? That's a fair question. If God's working historically in and through you in my life, and he has gifted you in specific ways to have your own Macedonian call, then what's the result of that? The reality is, and we teach this all the time from our stages, this relationship with God is not just about an eternal destiny. That's not the fullness of the gospel. The gospel is God's full story that he came after us to rescue us, to redeem us, but to also include us in what he's doing to reconcile 
mankind to himself, those who would answer the call and hear God's voice and be restored and be redeemed. We call that being saved. But you and I have a part in that. You, you and I have a, a role in that. So it's a fair question to ask. In your lifetime, since the time you stepped into a relationship with Christ, you would call yourself a follower of Christ. How many people have been led by the example or the picture that you've painted of who God is? How many people have been led to a conversion experience? It was something that was, I I could say naturally, but it was something supernaturally happening in and through Paul's life. It should happen in and through our lives as well as we are following Jesus. It should just be something that happens. Paul and Silas, another big uh, milestone in this story as we're coming into this, this time in his life where he's writing this letter. Paul and Silas were beaten and imprisoned. Uh, I wrote myself this hard question. Why is it so easy sometimes? I went on to just kind of allow the Spirit to to prod in my life, and I wrote this statement, when it seems easy, it's a good sign that I'm not engaged at the level that I need to be engaged in this call. God didn't call us to an easy existence when He asked us to step into a relationship with Him. He did not call us to comfort. Everything we see in the Scriptures, we see people who are, are... receiving and responding to God's, God's call, there is persecution, there is challenge, there are people who are being beaten like Paul and Silas and in prison. Now I know right now we've got it easy in America, but the time's coming. If not in your or my generation, the time will come for my children or my children's children where I believe in America they will be beaten and or imprisoned for their faith. But the question still presses into us, if we are called to something greater than ourselves, which we are, if we are in Christ Jesus, then it's an exchange. It is our old life for a new life, and it's not a life of comfort. It's not a life of God answering all our prayers that we think will make our life better The Macedonian call was much different than that. It led to to beatings. It it led to imprisonment. It led to to Paul and his cohorts being stoned. It led to shipwrecks. It it, it led to, to crazy lonely nights on a cold island because you're washed up on a shore. What does it look like for us to be followers of Christ, to be men of God in our world today? It begs the question, if it's easy and if it's comfortable and it feels like there is no cost, are we really in it? Are we really engaged in what God has called us to? The third thing I wanted us to see before we dive into the kind of the life of Paul and see who he is, is just the Paul's journey, even moving into this, this time where he was beaten and imprisoned, led to the Philippian jailer in prison being saved. And so I I jotted this down. Paul didn't want out. It's a little corny, but stay with me. Paul didn't want out. He wanted the Philippian jailer in. So when he was in prison, it, it wasn't, God, please free me from this. God, I can't believe I'm not getting fed the way I think I should be fed. God, I, I need all of this. God, I deserve all of this. And by the way, that's your job. He didn't go into that mode. 
He immediately understood that this was God's sovereignty, that he would be beaten for the gospel and imprisoned for his faith and then his engagement of that faith. And then while he was in there, instead of saying, God, free me, he allowed that time in his life for himself to be used by God to lead a jailer who could have lost his life if Paul had escaped that night. Paul was more interested in this man stepping into this relationship with Jesus that he knew about. Am I working up here? There we go. So to help you understand the timeline, Paul visited uh, the Philippians on his third missionary journey. Then he was imprisoned in Rome. And so we have, according to Scripture, just being able to put the pieces together, that Paul visited Philippi in A.D. 51. And so the letter that we have that we're getting ready to dive into, he wrote 11 years before we read this piece in, uh, in, in Acts. So there's 11-year difference from the time that he first visited Philippi to the time that he wrote this letter. Again, historically, see the investment. See the investment that Paul has in these people. What's your investment? Who's, who is God calling you to? Is there a people group? Is there a group of people around you that God's calling you to invest in for a long period of time? I'm just trying to help us to be aware as we're reading the scripture that God's calling us to something bigger than ourselves. So who is this Paul guy? I'm actually going to take about a quarter of my time this morning to just help you get a better picture of who this guy is so that you and I will better understand what God has rescued us from, the past that he's rescued us from to set us up for the future that he is calling us to. Let me say that again. I want you to see Paul's conversion on screen in a movie clip so that you and I can understand what he has set us free from so that we can better be mindful to engage the future that he has called us to. So take a look at Paul. I've got this still shot just to kind of give you an idea of who the characters are. Uh, Paul is uh, this mean guy with his fists clenched. This young man that you're looking at, the backside of him, you're going to see him here in just a moment. This is Stephen. So we're going to start off with a stoning of Stephen, and then move through uh, Paul's call on his life, and then uh, hopefully use this to fuel us to think about what he wants to continue. Well, that's your Apostle Paul. Great guy, huh? You could say that um, we're using modern day terms, except for the fact that he thought he was doing the right thing according to the Old Testament, God that he thought he knew. He was a terrorist, killing Christians. So he was. So when we come to the book of Philippians, you begin to see who this guy is and how God has changed him then begin to wrestle with the reality of what he said is true for you and it's it's true for me as well. You men, you're called to carry the gospel to the world. The question is, is it burning in your soul? Paul said, my soul is on fire. Why? Because he, he grasped the depth of what he's been called to. And what you and I have been called to is no different. And I I wrestle with the question for my own life, and I want you to wrestle with me. 
If that was the picture of Christianity, where we were beaten and our our lives were in jeopardy for our faith, that we claim to have in God, are we all in? And is is that still what we want? So the question behind that question is, is God enough? I mean, the fact that, that we get God, is, that's, that's the gospel. Is, is that enough? Or is our faith so cushioned by the churches that we attend, the Bible studies that we host, the songs that we sing, the prosperity that we enjoy, Now, none of that has anything to do with the gospel. The gospel is that God came for us and invited us into something that we we could not be a part of because of our sinful nature. And when when we say yes to that, we say yes to a lifetime of that possibility. Are we in? Paul, when he writes to the Philippians in chapter 1, he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Paul, when he uses this first phrase, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, he uses an interesting word here. It's the word doulos. It means slave. It means one who is bought with a price. So even in his introductory remarks here, he's making a profound statement. He's making the statement that he understands that when we step into this partnership in the gospel, that it's a life for life. It's not just God, come make my life better. It's not God, come make my existence on this planet peaceful. It's an invitation to suffering and possibly even death, but it's an invitation to abundant life. So Paul in Romans chapter 6, we're not going to take the time to walk through this this morning. It's for you to take a look at in your study at home. I want you just to look at the, the life for life change. We are a slave to sin, but now we are slaves to Christ. We are in a life of sin, but now we're in a life in Christ. We were in a life that led to death, but now we're in a life that pursues righteousness. This is a new commandment, a, a new commitment or standard of living that we have. Why do I say this? Listen, guys, if you and I understand what it means to be a partner in the gospel, we will not and we cannot check out. I was reading an article last night on on the struggle with pornography that a pastor has written this week. He made a great statement. If we were slaves to sin, but now we are slaves of Christ... Just just the simple pornography example, sex and the chemical that it releases in our brain is more powerful, scientists are saying, than crack cocaine and opiates. 
And so people are now saying, well, we can't help it. We can't help but go do that because of the chemical that is released in our brain. And so this, this, this pastor began to write, oh, really? So if we understand the gospel call and the call to this, this partnership that we have in the gospel, and we say and understand from the scripture, Romans chapter 6, we were slaves to sin. We had a life in sin, and that was a commitment to self and a slave to impurity and lawlessness. The wage of that was death. We claim that we're free from that. Well, guess what? There is no chemical release in our brains that is more powerful than Christ himself. And to say that when we come into contact with Jesus and we pursue this partnership in the gospel, that that itself scientifically releases something in our brain that is just as strong and more powerful than the opiate release and the endorphin release from masturbating to pornography. So this author goes on to write in his article last night, you mean to tell me that in the heat of the moment, right before the release, that's the way he wrote it, that King Jesus, who we claim to serve and be partners with in the gospel, that if he came and showed himself and stood right in front of us in that moment, that we would say we could not walk away from pornography in that moment? Of course we could. Because the reality of the call and the magnificent nature of who God is and what he's done in our lives to free us from slave and sin, of course in that moment, if Jesus would show himself to us, we would realize it and step away from it. Because we would understand the urgency of the call and the change from life to death, this exchange that has happened in our life. Gentlemen, we do not have time to waste this partnership in the gospel that, that Paul is, is, is thanking God for in his prayers for these people in Philippi, it stands for us today. We should be prayerful and thankful for one another because we are standing firm in this partnership of this gospel that he has called us to. He goes on to say, grace to you and peace from our God and Father Jesus Christ. Grace, of course, is the the grace that saves us, but grace goes on to unveil itself in countless ways in in our lives. God's grace is blessing you in however he's choosing to bless you right now. God's grace has blessed you with the breath of life today. God's grace is blessing you right now with the involuntary blinks of your eyelids. God's grace is keeping you alive so that you can be a partner in the gospel. How engaged, gentlemen, are we in this partnership? Paul uses the word peace here. And if we're not quick in our reading, we'll just read right over these introductory remarks because they're in every one of Paul's letters. Grace and peace to you. But what he means, what he really means to these people when he says peace is this, that you and I can have an inner assurance because of who we are in Jesus Christ to fully engage the partnership in the gospel that God's calling you to. This inner peace, is a, it's a life stance. Let me ask you the question. What is your life stance right now? What is your life stance all about? At the end of the day, what mattered most? In the middle of the day, what are you pursuing most? If it's anything other than the partnership and the gospel that God's called you to, you're wasting your time. And you say, wait a minute, Scott. How how can you say that, man? I'm called to... Do whatever you do. Well, that's for you to figure out. 
It's not for me to tell you. It's for you to press into God and say, God, why, why did you give me a heart for what I do so that I can partner with you in the gospel in this? And somehow you've got to figure out whatever you're doing for a living that God's allowing you to do that, to partner in the gospel for his greater good and so that people might taste and see that he's good and step in a relationship with him. But what you do on a daily basis matters if you make it matter for the gospel partnership that he's called you to. It's a life stance. It's a different way of thinking. It's a different way of approaching your job. And in that, get this, in that is where you find peace. How can you find peace and joy in what you're doing? You may say, wait a minute, Scott, I'm not called to preach like you are. Yes, you are. You just do it through whatever you're doing. I get to do it through this means. And you say, well, that's easier. You just get to stand on a stage and teach. It's not easier. There are many times I think about walking away from this job because I think I could be more effective in the marketplace where you guys are. There are 40 miracles in the book of Acts. 39 of them happened in the marketplace. One inside the church. Where's God doing the work? He's doing the work in the marketplace. Where are you? You're in the marketplace. What's your call? Your call is to partner with him in the gospel and figure out how he wants to use you there. And when you do that, you will find peace at what you're doing. Man, I'm like an old-time preacher up here beating my Bible up against this thing. Getting fired up. And so this word peace also means confidence in God. When you understand that you are a partner in the gospel, and that's what God has called you to, you can find a life stance and a peace, inner assurance, but you'll begin to live with confidence in that call to be a partner. I asked this the question from our historical moment as we were setting up today. How many people have I led to Christ by the way I live? How many people have you led to Christ by the way that you live? Most people cowered away from that, and the reality is only three Christians out of 100 will ever lead someone to Christ in their lifetime, and that's living life, not understanding the partnership, number one, in its fullness, but number two, not living in confidence in the power of God that it has worked within you to lead other people to God. Our job is not to invite people to Bible study so that they might catch it. Our job is not to invite people to church because that's the greatest stall point in Americanized Christianity is the church. We invite people to church and they learn how to do church and they never meet God. Some do, very few. So somehow you guys have to to wrestle with God and move to a place of, of confidence where you're under his care and you're living in his power so that with spiritual confidence, you can be content in the turmoil that will come if you embrace the partnership. You follow me there? I did a little switch on you. If you embrace the partnership, you will step into the greatest turmoil you've ever experienced in your life. Which goes back to the introduction. If it's easy, if it's easy, it begs the question, are we really engaged? But when we move in confidence with this life stance, we move into a content commitment that will lead us into turmoil. But ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, there are no ladies here. I hope. (laughs) If we move into that, that's where we'll find our greatest joy. It's in the partnership. We got to pick up with where we left off today next week because it's time to go. Let me pray for you and we'll be dismissed. God, um, wow, I'm wrestling with with this in my own heart today, and I pray uh, these men are wrestling with this as well. And and Father, I, 
God, I pray you'd, you'd set our souls on fire on the inside. I, pr- I pray that you would well up inside of us by the power of your spirit, a hunger to embrace this partnership that we're called to. Father, I pray, I don't know how, I don't know how you work it out, but I pray that you would work out in each of these men's life what it means for them, where they do work, where they work every day, what it means for them to partner with you in the gospel there so that others might come to Christ by what they see in the marketplace. God, use us in that way. Do something in this city in that way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, gentlemen. See you next week.